Welcome to Law of Attraction Talk Radio. For your added enjoyment, we have made a video of this featuring Dr. Dennis Kimbrough. You can see it by going to loaradionetwork.com forward slash jewels and see it on my show page. Or you can go to the YouTube channel, Law of Attraction Radio, and watch it from there. Please enjoy. It was made for you in love. You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. The secret to well-being is discovering the power that is your birthright. The power to create a happier, healthier life drawn from our own vast internal resources. Join Jules and her guests as they gently guide you to shift your perspective from the familiar negative to the divinely connected. A place that will not only positively impact your world, but possibly shift the planet. It's all right here on Law of Attraction Talk Radio. Well, welcome to Law of Attraction Talk Radio. I'm Jules from beautiful Southern California, La Quinta, California, out in the desert in the summer months. And we're going to be experiencing some uh, delightful hot weather and I get to cheat a little bit because uh, there's nothing like going to the gym in air conditioning when it's 110, 115 outside. <laughs> and it's really nice because I get to go exercise with all my girlfriends around here. So anyway, we've got a tremendous show. We have got none other than Dr. Dennis Kimbrough. Now, not only... Will you know Dr. Kimbrough from his five best-selling books? But you have probably seen him on NBC, ABC, CBS, CNBC, Ebony, all of these magazines. And he is also on the cover of Law of Attraction magazine. And he wrote this really, really tremendous story about Napoleon Hill. Dale Carnegie, and how he became the co-author to Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich, A Black Choice. It's phenomenal. Now, Dr. Kimbrough has helped millions of people all over the world. And by a simple message of empowerment, that anybody can reach their goals if only they can understand how their thoughts are projecting out their future. So this is really, really important for everyone to listen to. He's absolutely brilliant. He's also a professor at Clark Atlanta University. And uh, I'm just so honored to not only have him on the cover, but to be on the show tonight. So... Let's listen to these few commercial breaks and we'll be right back with you with Dr. Dennis Kimbrough. Did you know that every human uses only a small portion of their powerful mind? Jules Johnson, International Certified Hypnotherapist, wants to introduce you to your powerful mind in order to create your dream life. In as little as one session, Jules guides you into releasing limiting beliefs that keep you from achieving wealth, health, better relationships, and even true love. Schedule a session in Palm Springs or set up a Skype video session for those nationally and internationally. 
Jules would love to serve as your guide into living your dreams. Go to creativeguidedimagery.com or call 951-201-2166. That's creativeguidedimagery.com. It's here, it's hot, and it's a must-read. It's the science behind The Law of Attraction magazine. Every issue brings you great articles and in-depth how-tos from all your favorite Law of Attraction experts, authors, scientists, and medical professionals. Go to lawofattractionmagazine.net. That's lawofattractionmagazine.net. Okay, we are back. And before I bring out the incredible Dr. Kimbro, I want to talk about the basic number one concept in the law of attraction. And I think discussing this right now will help us to grasp the incredible message that Dr. Kimbro is delivering to us. Now, self-responsibility is the major, the major basic tenet of the law of attraction. The fact that we create all of our life experience is a rude awakening for most people, especially when they first enter the concept the of universal law of attraction. Now, you may be sitting there right now doubting every word I'm saying, and that's okay. All I ask is that you consider what's being said. Give it some thought and be open to the possibility that it's worth exploring. The common theme that we see everywhere today is being a victim of a circumstance or another person. There's people who are being called bullies. There's people who are taking on that victim mentality. In all cases, this prevents you from actually creating your desires. And why is that? Because you're stuck in this field where you can't get outside of yourself in order to create. The good news is that with the recognition that you are creating your life and you toss in some forgiveness, you can start taking charge as the designer of your life, no longer a victim of life's random circumstances. You become self-responsible. And there is not going to any extreme about it because as we will talk about you are simply a reflection out into the universe of what you are believing to be true so if you believe you are a victim guess what happens you stay a victim you will notice that everything happens to you and you are not creating, you're letting life and your own belief dictate your circumstances. Knowing that you're responsible for your experiences and always have been, 
gives you the opportunity to start creating the experiences you want to have rather than experiencing life by default. A great deal of personal power is always available to you. But it's true. You cannot work this universal energy of the law of attraction if you have beliefs that others are doing to you because it takes away the role of you being the master of your life. Nobody does anything to you. You are perceiving how someone is treating you. It's your perception. They could actually mean something totally different from what you are perceiving. That is the probability. Because you're not reading their mind. You are simply reading your own limiting beliefs. And that stops you dead in your tracks because you're placing the blame on another person for how you feel. That doesn't get you anywhere. Today, you can take full responsibility by noticing what anybody says to you and maybe hurts your feelings is simply coming to you. And I've said this before many, many times. If what somebody is saying to you hurts your feelings, the reason for that is not the other person. The reason for that is what is pushing your own buttons. You are the one that has that belief and that belief is what hurts your feelings. So if you don't want people to push your buttons, you got to understand that they're not responsible for your buttons being pushed. It's you. It's your thoughts. It's your beliefs. And once you can grasp that, then you take on a whole new persona because you stop blaming everyone else and you start creating exactly what you want. It's so powerful and it is the very, very first step of being the master of your life. Now, if you've always have been a perpetual victim, as I have, it's so easy to fall back into the trap. It's kind of like this is our humanness that we've got to evolve away from. So, what do you do? You catch yourself as soon as you can and say, whoops, uh-oh, hold on, hold the fort. My own beliefs pop back up again. And I'm blaming somebody else for the way I feel. And then guess what? You stop it. You get back on track. And you start creating again. You may have, oh, I don't know, in a month, ten times that you slip back into it. 
but the next month you may only have five times because you're retraining the mind just as you're retraining the mind that you are a powerful human being that have has come here to experience your own power that is a beautiful wonderful feeling there is nobody nobody on this planet who is more powerful than you are you create you are magnificent and don't ever forget that and with that we are ready to hear the phenomenal Dr. Dennis Kimbrough. Well, welcome Dr. Dennis Kimbrough to Law of Attraction Talk Radio. I am so thrilled to have you on my show. Thanks for having me, Jules. You know, you have one of the best stories I have ever heard about you and Napoleon Hill. And I think it's a story which you wrote about in the magazine, but I think it's a story that the entire world needs to really grasp because uh, not only do you talk about Napoleon Hill, but Dale Carnegie and the power of a person's thoughts that can really affect their lives, which is the law of attraction. So could you tell us that story? Oh, I'd be, I'd be more than honored. Um, you know, even today, here we are in 2017, as I travel the country and travel the world, really, people still ask me, how in the world did I get my name on Napoleon Hill's book? And, uh, you know, I, I tell them that at the time of his death in uh, 1970, Napoleon Hill was attempting to write a black version of his all-time classic. And that by itself gets people wondering, okay, who, who is this man, Napoleon Hill? Mm -hmm. But before you know, I, I, I get into that, uh, I was an unknown writer at the time. I mean, here's a guy who's working on his PhD at Northwestern University. All I wanted to do was to study wealth and poverty. And the best advice that I had ever been given at that time, Jules, I had like four committee members on my dissertation committee. And they told me, they said, Dennis, when you write your dissertation, don't write it in a subject area that only three people in the Western world are going to read. View it as your first book. Mm -hmm. So I was studying wealth and poverty. And when I got that advice, I said, I want to flip the script. I want to change the narrative. I don't want to study poverty. I want to study wealth. And yeah. I don't want to study wealth under just, you know, a, a potpourri of individuals. I want to focus on an underrepresented, under-targeted market audience, which happens to be African-Americans. Yeah. So that was my focus. And I carved out a list of about 50 individuals. And I, I was going to ask two simple questions. Number one, why is one individual rich and you know successful while another is impoverished? And number two, why you know well, what is the critical difference? You know, is there a difference between all these different ethnic groups in terms of success? So, Jules, I carved out a list. I didn't know. I mean, I was so naive. 
carved out a list of 50 individuals. They didn't know me, but I certainly knew them. And I was going to interview them. Like I could just pick up the phone, call them, and they would give me an hour or half a day of their time. That's how naive I was. Well, (laughs) believe it or not, I did get in contact with the 50, and I said, well, let me throw it out for another 50, another 100. And before you know it, I had... You know, I had stories and interviews with all of the game changers in the black community. The title of my book was it was What Makes the Great Great. That was going to be my first book. I don't know if you remember this individual uh, at the time. His name was Scott DeGarmo. He was the editor of Success Magazine at the time. And he caught wind of what I was doing because, Jules, understand this. This is the mid-19, early to mid-1980s. And I had so many interviews, magazine articles, because this was going to be the first book that was sort of targeted for, for black America. There were no books out there. There were barely articles out there. I mean, here, here's a guy with a PhD from Northwestern who was going to bring capitalism to the black community. And I I told my readers, I said, listen, capitalism is not a dirty word. Capitalism means that everything is for sale. That's all it means. And I I was going to be the individual to do that. Well, Scott DeGarmo, you know, sent me a letter and called me up and he said, you know, I'm the editor of Success Magazine. We want you to write a series of articles. And I said, sure. I said, better than that. Why don't you take a look at my manuscript? Again, showing how naive I was at the time. Take a look at my manuscript and pull anything out that you want. Well, he said, no, Dennis, we, we want you to write the article. We, we like your writing style. So I wrote a series of articles and, um, you know, I, I didn't have a title um, at, at that time, but one of those articles made it to the desk of W. Clement Stone. Now, for your viewers out there and your readers out there, W. Clement Stone was one of the wealthiest individuals in this country. Uh-huh. At the time, he was the, he was the Bill Gates of his time. And uh, the, one of the articles made it to his desk, and he called me up. I had just returned home from interviewing Earl Graves, the publisher of Black Enterprise magazine. Uh, the plane lands, go home. I see on my answering machine, I hit the button and he says, young man, we heard about you. When can you come to Chicago? I would like to meet you. Well, the next day I returned the phone call. I had no idea what W. Clement Stone had in mind. But Jules, to be honest with you, I was dead broke at the time. I mean, I had a wife, three small children, and we were living off the earnings of my wife, who was an accountant, um, because I was doing this full time. I had worked in corporate America for a pharmaceutical company. I had left the pharmaceutical company. I was doing consulting on the side, and I was really robbing Peter to pay Paul. I was making a a dime do the work of a dollar. Well, I returned his phone call. We set up a time when I was going to fly to Chicago. My wife was going to go with me, and uh, I go to Chicago, and I walk into Stone's palatial offices on the outside of Chicago, Illinois. He's surrounded by his lieutenants. Uh, I have a seat, and he says to me, he says, now this is November 4th, 1986. He says, young man, we heard about you. 
uh, and we have a proposition for you. And I said, what is that? Again, don't have the slightest idea what he had in mind. He says, we want you to finish, update, and complete a book. And I said, what book? He reached across his credenza, pulled out the last 100 written pages of Napoleon Hill, dropped it in my lap. He said, this book. This is what you're looking at right here, Jules. I don't wow. know if you see that. Yeah. Lift it up. And, okay, yeah. Blacks are growing rich. Okay. You, you can see it from Napoleon Hill's typewriter in my hands. Blacks are growing rich, Napoleon Hill. So wow. he drops in my lap, and I said, you know, I flipped through it. He said, we want you to complete and uh, update this book. And I said, well, Mr. Stone, I'm honored, but I can't. And he said, why not? And I said, well, I'm working on a book of my own. He said, young man, if you have any sense, you need to push <laughs> your book aside and finish this. And then I said, well, you know, even if I were to take uh, you up on this, uh, this opportunity, I got to be honest with you, Mr. Stone, I'm dead broke. Uh, I, I can't find a quarter with a roadmap. My wife, She's in the rental car, you know, waiting for me outside. I've, I've taken every dime that I've had and, and placed it in this project. If you give me some type of financial support. Now, Jules, mind you, he's one of the wealthiest in the United States. It would have been nothing for him to reach into his lapel pocket, pull out his checkbook, or he's got a gentleman by the name of Michael Rick, who his personal confidant and concierge could write me out a check for $100,000, give me a, a book advance to finish this. And he said, no. He said, young man, we're not gonna give you a dime. He says, I don't know if you know the story about Napoleon Hill and Andrew Carnegie, but when Hill asked Carnegie for financial support, Carnegie told him, no, we'll just pay you for expenses, but I'm not gonna compensate you for your time. But young man, if you really wanna find the answers to your questions, why one person is rich while another is wealthy, why one individual is successful while another one fails, it is in this laboratory that you must find it. Wow. The only thing that he gave me, Jules, was a medallion, and I have it on my dresser upstairs. He said, young man, whoever I've given this medallion to, whose ever hand I've placed this medallion into, they have never failed to reach their goals and objectives. Wow. And I'm so glad that, hey, he, he did that at the time because, you know, I have been all over the world and I don't care what your experience is. You know, with the law of attraction, you know, our, you know, our circumstances can be lacking, but as individuals, we're not, because the universe always aligns with the dominant thought. And that's not me. I mean, that's Stephen Covey. Stephen Covey said the same thing. Everything occurs to you twice in life, the inner, the outer, the thought, the thing. And, you know, we are blessed to live in, as I said, in a, a capitalist economy. And I'm not telling you that capitalism is perfect, but you take the word capitalism, Jules, write it on a piece of paper, C-A-P-I-T-A-L-I-S-M. Take the Latin derivative of the word capitalism, C-A-P-U-T, caput. What does it mean in Latin? It means head. We don't live in a society that is divided between rich versus poor, or, or black versus white, or liberal conservative, male versus female, you know, but we do live in a society that is divided between dreamer versus non-dreamer. And as Napoleon Hill said, people get in trouble in life not because they wanted too much. They get in trouble in life because they settled for too little. So that was November 4th, 
1986, and you fast forward the videotape to 1991 when I finished that book and I was invited to the Napoleon Hill Foundation annual board meeting. And there I am with W. Clement Stone and about 20 board members of the Napoleon Hill Foundation. And I got an opportunity to all give them a copy of what became Think and Grow Rich, a black choice with my name and Napoleon Hill's name on the cover. And like I said, Napoleon Hill wrote 16 books in his lifetime. And you can walk into any bookstores. And here's the fundamental thing that you got to understand, Jules. There's various adaptations of Hill's writings. When you look at um, you know, um, Outwitting the Devil and you look at you know, three feet from gold, six feet from gold. Those are adaptations of his writings. But thinking for which a black choice is his writing. Again, wow. like I said, if he would have lived one year longer, thinking for which a black choice would have been out in 1970 and not 1991. Wow. So I'm honored. Now, people ask me, you know, why was Hill focused on that? Over that seven-year period, I was exposed to Napoleon Hill University, if there's one. Michael Ritt, who was, like I said, his personal concierge, traveled with Napoleon Hill. And whenever Napoleon Hill had a, uh, a presentation to give or whenever he was on the radio, it was uh, the task of Michael Ritt to, uh, um, to take that conversation, to uh, tape that presentation. And they had the audio tapes of all of his presentations. So here I am, and uh, I'm listening to an audio tape of Hill giving a presentation in downtown Chicago in the late 1950s. It's called um, Science of Success. And he gives this two-hour presentation at a, uh, at a hotel, downtown Chicago, late 1950s. And after the presentation, Hill opens up for Q&A. And there's a woman in the audience, and she has a question, and she says, Dr. Hill, these principles that you espouse and these principles that you share, um, will they work for anybody? And Napoleon Hill, in his Socratic method, he says, what do you mean anybody? And she says, well, without regard to race, creed, or color. And here's Hill, late 1950s Chicago, and he says, let's get one thing straight. Let's be real clear about one thing right now. There is no such thing as race. Can you imagine a white gentleman from southwestern Virginia, born and raised, late 1800s, saying this in downtown Chicago in the late 1950s, there is no such thing as race. Wow. That is a powerful statement, and that is a powerful testament. And that was the mindset of Napoleon Hill at the time. Wow. wow. So there is no distinction. Anybody, everybody on this planet has the potential to create their desires. Without a doubt. We are all connected. There's only one mind. And, uh, you know, I, as I tell them, all right, I, I teach, uh, I'm a business school professor, and I, I tell my students all the time, that mindset matters. And there's only two people in the world. Number one, the individual that's looking at his or her goals. And number two, the individual's looking at the obstacle that's stopping them from reaching their goals and objectives. Mindset matters. And the greatest gift that we've ever been given 
is the ability to change your mind. And arguably, the absolute greatest gift is the passionate, committed mind, because Jules, the passionate, committed mind cannot be defeated. If the passionate, committed mind could be defeated, there'd be no Oprah Winfrey. There'd be no Bob Johnson of BET. There would be no Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook. There would be no Chad Hurley of YouTube. There would be no, you know, uh, Jack Dorsey of Twitter. And, you know, we have all been, you know, uh, again, going back to what I say in my books, I didn't choose to be here and you didn't choose to be here. The bottom line is that we were chosen. So the critical and entrepreneurial question here we are in 2017 is if we live the normal life and what is the normal life? 30 to, you know, 32,000 days on earth. That's all we get. That equates to 74, 74, you know, 75 years. The critical question is, when are you going to place your fingerprints on life? Time isn't running out, but our life is. And, you know, making a difference in society is the the number one aspect that we should be focused on. Wow. That was powerful right there. Okay, so I got goosebumps from everything you said. All right, so we are our own worst enemies sometimes because we're not able to see past what is familiar mindset to move forward. How do we move forward into a new mindset? By being true to your devotion. By protecting your devotion from interruption. Again, we live in, okay, here it is, 2017, and now uh, we live in a society driven by social media. Mm. And like I said, when when Chad Hurley came up with YouTube, when uh, Reed Hoffman came up with LinkedIn, when Zuckerberg came up with Facebook, when uh, Kevin Sinstrom came up with Instagram, they came up with these social media platforms to change the world, not for people to latch on and to gossip. When they came up with these platforms, they were hoping that somebody would give adequate drinking water to a remote village in Africa. They were hoping that somebody would find a way to give little elementary school children in Bangladesh uniforms so they can continue their education. It is all about mindset. And you got to protect your devotion from all interruption. The average individual in our society, Jules, gets four ideas a year. Any one of which, if they have the guts, the fortitude, the courage to chase their dream, would make them financially independent. Now, financial independence is different for different people. You know, for one individual, it might be billionaire. I got to be a billionaire. For another individual, it might be another $50 a month. You know, it is different for different people. And you can't put your level of financial freedom on another individual because of all going to one road. And what is that one road? What Napoleon Hill says, peace of mind. When the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers, it doesn't mean that, okay, me and Jules, we had a fight, now we kiss and make up. It doesn't mean that. It means blessed are those who have peace of mind. And what is peace of mind? It is the absence of all negative emotions, fear, anger, jealousy, hatred, guilt, grief. And you will not have peace of mind if you aren't true to your devotion, if you aren't certain in uncertain times. When Napoleon Hill came up with his 17 attributes and his 17 principles for success, he said the only reason why he came up with the big four, and what are the big four? 
The, number one, definiteness of purpose, mastermind, applied faith, and going the extra mile. The only reason why he came up with those four, you know, is to get you to focus on five through 17. And definiteness of purpose is the key, Jules. We all have, a, you know, a, a desire that we want. Right. People would ask me all the time, well, Dr. Kimbrough, what is the difference between a regular desire and a burning desire? We have 50 million desires. My wife has a desire. She wants to paint the house. Uh, I have a desire. I want to get the cars detailed. Um, you might have a desire. Okay, here we are in June. You're already thinking about who's going to make the cover in November, December. Well, we all have desires. But right. when Napoleon Hill talks about a burning desire, what is a burning desire? A burning desire is unlike any desire. It is an inner candle. It is an inner flame that under no circumstances can be extinguished. And though the worst may go before you, Jules, people may laugh, people may scoff, people may ridicule, people may say that you're crazy. You will use their ridicule and you will use you know, their, their laughter to go ahead and propel you forward. That is a burning desire. A burning desire is, you know, I don't care, this brick wall, this door, I am going through. And though you may laugh and you may ridicule, I will use your laughter to propel me to reach my goals and objectives. I was placed on this earth for this one moment in time. That's a definiteness of purpose. And when you Place your definiteness of purpose. This one thing I will do before anything else, you are successful. Get the original Thinking Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. He tells you within the first chapter that he mentions this burning desire more than 30 times to get you to focus in on that. So the burning desire, how can you, you're supposed to maintain that burning desire and yet still have a peace of mind? Oh, yes. You, you will have a peace of mind when you identify your burning desire. Ah, gotcha. Because people, will, once you identify why you were here and what you're going to do, people will be added to you if you need people. Money will be added to you if you need money. Resources will be given to you if you need resources. And, you know, people talk about, well, a miracle occurred. What's a miracle? A miracle occurs every time you change your mind. Okay, if you look at it in a biblical sense, and you know, I'm not talking about, you know, I don't care. Listen, the goal is not to be a, a Christian, Jules. The goal is to be Christ-like. The goal is not to be a Muslim. The goal is to be Muhammad-like. The goal is not to be a Buddhist. The goal is to be Buddha-like. Why? Because they knew there are different roads and there are different paths, but there is only one door. And what is that one door? Truth. And what is that truth? It is your mindset. Mindset matters. And, you know, you, you, you look at, at, at the Silicon Valley mindset. They know that to be true to, you know, to your identity. And what is your identity? The one thing that you want to do. So you, let's use the biblical standpoint. Whenever the carpenter from Galilee, you know, came into a village and he quote unquote healed the depressed and he healed the sick and he healed the impoverished. The last thing he said to him, Jules, was go and sin no more. Well, what is sin? 
Sin doesn't mean that I took the last cookie out of the cookie jar when you weren't looking. Sin doesn't mean that, Jules, when you turn your back, I reach into your purse and I took a dollar. It doesn't mean that. It means go and change your mind, change your thinking. Because if you don't change your thinking, and if you don't change your mind, the next time that I see you, you're still going to be depressed. You're still going to be poor. You're still going to be broke. And you're still going to be, you know, overtaken by disease. Well, when we talk about mindset, make sure that you're focusing in on the one thing that you want to do, the one thing that you want to have, and the one thing that you want to become. Wow. Um, you said that when you change your mindset, then everything comes towards you. Everything you just... is in a line. The universe is in a line with your dominant thought. And that's the critical part, getting people to decide what they want. I mean, if I stood here, I am in Atlanta, Georgia, if I stood at the busiest intersection of Atlanta and interviewed the next 100 people that crossed my path, the majority couldn't even tell you why they got out of bed in the morning. You know, the majority wouldn't even have a goal. You know, Napoleon Hill talks about goal setting. And what does he say? Your goals must be believable, your goals must be conceivable, your goals must be achievable, and your goals must be measurable. What gets measured gets done. Well, Dr. Kimbrough, I don't have a goal. Well, that is your number one goal now, to make it your goal to find the goal. Yeah. You are at your best when pursuing a goal or objective. Maybe that's the number one reason why you're here. What is the What is your number one goal? This is so good. So if a person doesn't have a, a job, then their goal is to get that job. But if they become comfortable in that job, then they're not going to be moving forward into that other. Do you see what I'm saying? Sometimes I, comfort I, yes, gets. I, I, I see exactly what you're saying. And let's be clear. There's nothing wrong being comfortable in that job. There was absolutely nothing wrong with that because, you know, a conversation that I had with Earl Nightingale, and I use the same definition that he used years ago about success. Success is the prog progressive realization of a worthy goal and an ideal. So what does that mean? Well, a successful individual, and see, what we do in, our, in this society, we always throw a dollar figure on success. You can't do that unless money is your goal. But... Under that backdrop, the progressive realization of a worthy goal or ideal. Jules, what in the world does that mean? A successful individual in our society is the young woman who says, I want to be a school teacher or I want to be a nurse and sets out on a path to become a school teacher or a nurse. A successful individual in our society is the high school dropout who says, I want to get a job at that corner service station or maybe one day own that corner service station. Yeah. So as when they set on a path to do that, they are just as successful as the 1,000 billionaires that we have in the United States. So there is nothing wrong with that, you know, being comfortable after you have pursued your goal and objective. But, you know, we live in a society that is information driven. So anything, Jules, anything can be approved upon when we take in information. And I see what you're driving at. We've got to constantly improve upon and take in new information regarding our vocation. I have a sign in my classroom that reads, if you don't read, if you don't study, if you don't grow, if you don't develop, 
if you don't go to the seminars and if you don't go to the conferences and if you don't take good notes, someone out in the universe will. And the day that you meet that other person, you lose. Why? Mm. We live in an information-driven society. Anything can be can be approved. I don't care if you're working at a toll booth and you're taking a change at a toll booth, or I don't care if you're digging ditches, you know, you, you know, over the course of your life, any vocation can be improved upon. But where does fear come into it? Because I see so many people get stuck and can't move forward. How do they release that fear to get into that proper mindset? Well, fear is never fear or failure is never failure until it is accepted as such. Okay. You've got to constantly ask your question, you know, when you step out on the fear of failure and you have failed, what can I do better next time? But Jules, what is fear? F-E-A-R. It's false education appearing real. And again, going back to Napoleon Hill, you got to see with your mind's eye because sometimes your physical eye will lie to you. Here we are, okay, you're in Southern California, I'm on the East Coast, let's go to Savannah, Georgia, and let's look out across the Atlantic Ocean. And as we look out across the Atlantic Ocean, you might say, hey man, looks like the sky and the water meet. Well, Jules, you and I both know that the sky and the water never meet, otherwise there's no such thing as gravity. Okay. If you and I stood on train tracks and we looked down at the train tracks, you would say, wow, it looks like the tracks are coming together. Again. We know that the tracks would never come together, otherwise the train would fall off the tracks. These are two examples of your physical eye lying to you. All right, so you step out, you push the fear of failure aside and you step out to chase your dream and you get your hands spanked and you lose your house and you lose your car and everybody laughs at you. You know, see with your mind's eye because that's your physical lie, lying, you know, you know, playing games with you. Because, Jules, where do dreams come from? A dream comes from your creator knocking on your subconscious, asking you, do you want more out of life? People ask me all the time, what is the difference between the guy who, uh, you know, gets a dream, pursues a dream, and then quits, and the individual, the other individual who gets a dream, pursues a dream, overcomes and makes millionaire shit. Yeah. This is the critical difference. Here's a guy who works five years, or, or a woman, works five years in corporate America, gets a dream, gets a vision, quits corporate America, chases their dream. After six months, no one is using the product or service, gets behind on the mortgage, gets behind on the car, about to lose the car, about to lose the house, blows the dust off of his or her resume, throws it back out there and gets another job because they're afraid of losing the house, afraid of losing the car. Then you have another individual, Jules. Here's an individual, worked five years in corporate America, gets sick of it, quits the job, runs out there, starts a business. After six months, gets behind on the car payment, gets behind on the house, about to lose the car, about to lose the house, but instead of blowing the dust off the resume, searching for another job, says, hey, take the car, take the house. There's no way in the world I can do that. Hey, continues on the path to the dream and hits millionaireship. What is the difference? One guy is afraid of losing his house, losing his car. The other guy is afraid of losing his life. Mm. That is the critical difference. 
when you get to that point of your burning desire, say, sorry, this is why I'm here. And that's the point where I was with my books. I wasn't going to take another job. I said, take the house because I did lose two cars in the process. Five times I did get behind on my mortgage here in the same house that we're seated right now. Take the car, take the house. This is what I was placed on earth to do. And what's the bottom line? Think and Grow Rich, a black choice, million copies in print. So you use the fear and the desperation as a motivation. Without to, a doubt. To get you going in following your dream, your inner guidance. And, and remember, Jules, motivation starts with the next step. There's only three things you got to do. Number one, turn your should-dos into must-dos. Turn your should-dos into must-dos. Develop a sense of urgency. Number, ah. two, yeah, number two, be very particular who you associate with. Cut the toxic people loose. Cut the naysayers, non-believers, unachievers loose because you got to focus in on your dominant impulse, your number one goal and objective. And number three, you know, hey, read the right books. Read, get around, get, read the right books, get around the right people, find the best coaches, and this is where you come in. There's no telling how many folks that, you know, lives are going to be changed because of what you're doing. Jules, I mean, don't, don't take it lightly. You're making a difference, and there's only four things in life you want to do. Number one, you want to make a difference. Number two, you want to make a difference with somebody else who wants to make a difference. Number three, you want to make a difference with others who want to make a difference doing something that makes a difference. But number four, Jules, you want to make a difference with others who want to make a difference doing something that makes a difference at a time when it makes all the difference in the world. And this is the time. <laughs> so don't take wow. it lightly. And I'm not saying that you are taking it lightly, but you're standing on the precipice and you are providing a service to uncold, you know, untold thousands. Just as you have, you have literally changed the lives of millions of people around the world. Wow. This is a phenomenal interview. I'm enjoying this so much. When I was writing what became Think and Grow Rich of Black Choice, I focused on the, the kingpins, the, the men and women who were at the top of the mountain because I knew if I could get them everybody else would fall in line. But right. I but I use the principles myself. I use persistence. I use definiteness of purpose. I use mastermind. I believed in myself when no one else will. Okay. And and using those principles set me out on a path to reach my goals and objectives. People ask me all the time, the only reason why somebody would come out to hear me speak, Jules, is number one, they read my books and they want to know, can I, you know, can I articulate the books as well as the written? But number two, which is a deeper question, they want to know, yeah, Dennis, these principles work for you, but will they work for me? And that's what Napoleon Hill and Andrew Carnegie was about. That fateful meeting, that autumn day, when Napoleon Hill, through some cosmic happenstance, in interviewed spent time with the wealthiest individual in the world and Carnegie knew he said listen you know I like you young man you're, you're, you're not you know starry eyed over all the possessions that I had you want to you want to really hone in on the mindset 
I got a little black book, and I got all the game changers in this book. And would you be amenable if I could set the interviews up to sitting down with the Harvey Firestone, to sitting down with the Alexander Graham Bell, to sitting down with the Thomas Edison, to sitting down with the, with the Henry Ford, and ask them the same questions you asked me and placing their comments in a book that's not only going to benefit this generation, but future generations. Do you think that you'd be uh, amenable and enamored doing that? And Hill immediately said yes, and the rest is history. And the thin thread that we're connected, that's how I latched on this thin thread. The thin thread that you're connected, that's how you latched on it. Because when you talk about law of attraction, that's really the first time on a mass scale. Yeah, I know there were other writers. You know, here, here I am in, in my study. And uh, I, I look at, I, I got the books here right now, Orison Sweat Martin. Imagine this, Jules. Orison Sweat Martin, he wrote 110 books and pamphlets in his lifetime. You're in my study right now, and I got 65 of his books and pamphlets in my study. I'm probably the last individual to interview his his oldest sibling who died, Mary Martin Fitch, his oldest daughter. I had a phone interview with her uh, from her, you know, uh, Staten Island home. This one thin thread, because we had, you know, stepped out on faith and we pushed fear aside, and we made sure that this thin thread is now a cable that future generations could latch on, maybe, arguably, to reach their goals and objectives. So does it work? Yeah, it'll work if you work it as an individual. Yeah. That's the key. You have to work it. Yeah, you have to work it. And there is nothing precocious or pretentious about our creator. People say to me all the time, well, that's, you know, our creator testing you. Well, why in the world would your creator want to test you? <laughs> your creator gave you the dream. And like I said in the article, yeah, if the system's rigged, it's rigged in your behalf. And all you got to do is step out on faith. And there's two types of faith, faith in self and faith in others. And if you're going to bet the ranch, do what these high-flying achievers and peak performers did, bet the farm on yourself. Wow, that is so good. Let me ask you something, because I know Dale Carnegie was a very, very wealthy man. Very wealthy. And he... It was into capitalism and that as well as Napoleon Hill that just shows that they want everybody to prosper because if everybody prosper then they'll prosper more is that how they thought oh without a doubt and like I said Napoleon Hill wrote 16 books again this was number 17 he wrote 16 books and so many articles so many pamphlets and I was exposed to all of his writings. And even after Law of Success and Think and Grow Rich, the original Think and Grow Rich, he self-published a lot of his books. Oh, but I he was becoming that. more and more metaphysical in his writings and in his leanings. And same thing with Andrew Carnegie. Carnegie said, yeah, he, he was the wealthiest individual of his time. But never forget Carnegie's words. He said, the man or woman who dies wealthy, dies rich, dies without dignity. You're there to give it away. And he wasn't talking about his money, Jules. He was talking about his thoughts. He was talking about yeah. mindset. Everything that I have learned in the process, because you take all the quote unquote 
trappings of success away from me, you know, I will go ahead and attain it again in a matter of time, in a matter of years. Henry Ford said the same thing. So we live in a society in which the rich get richer. Sure, they get richer. Why? It's not because of the, you know, their financial net worth or whatever. It's because of their thinking. And people ask me all the time, we live in a country and, and jewels. There's no financial deficit in this country. There's a spiritual deficit in this country. Yes. Change yes. your mind and change your life. Change your mind and change your world. There's no poverty unless, damn it, you think poverty. There's no scarcity unless you think scarcity. Everything occurs to you twice in life, the inner and the outer. So, I mean, come on, man. Connect the dots. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. What in the world does that mean? The physical that you have first, put last. And the mental that you have last, place first. Wow. So... For those people who are angry at the very, very wealthy and think that they're not sharing, perhaps they have the wrong perception. Oh, without a doubt. <clears throat> and I mean, that needs to be corrected. And you, and that... Jules, it's the same thing that you've gone through. you got to become somebody before you be somebody. If you would have looked at me seven years ago, I was very cocky. I was very full of myself. Why? I had a fancy PhD from one of the top countries in the, excuse me, top colleges in the country. But you look at me now, very humble. You know why? Because I have grown. I have developed. I'm not the same individual. And the same thing with Hill and the same thing with Carnegie. When, when, when Hill had finished Law of Success, you know, a, a lot of Carnegie's confidants are still uh, uh, around. And they they saw Napoleon Hill, you know, what he was doing with his money and everything. And, and I have no, no problem sharing this story. Hill still had some growing to do. He became a quote-unquote instant millionaire when Law of Success was published. And what did a, a young Napoleon Hill do, you know, with his earnings? He didn't buy one Rolls Royce. He bought two. And a confident who knew, who knew Carnegie at the time, he approached Napoleon Hill and said, young man, didn't you learn anything in the years of your study? So he still had some growth and development to do. You know, the Bible says, complete thy noble task. And what is thy noble task, Jules? You know, at least show up. At least blow the dust off your resume. At least try. At least step out on faith at least take a chance. You know, we are here, you know, and I talk about, you know, not to be better than anybody else, but to be better than what we were yesterday. To be better, to take in the information, to grow and to, and to develop. That's why we are here. Wow. That is exceptional. Oh, wow. We are almost out of time. I can't thank you enough. The words that you spoke to us today has, I just know, changed the life of many, many people who are listening. I can't thank you enough. This is exactly what they needed to hear today. <laughs> and and you are wonderful. Thank you. And thank you for taking the time and doing the article and being on the cover. I just feel so blessed. Thank you so much. I, I am so blessed to know you, Jewel. Keep doing what you're doing. Call me anytime. God bless. Thank you, sir.
Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next week with another great show from Law of Attraction Talk Radio. If you'd like to comment on tonight's show, send an email to jules at LOARadioNetwork.com and have a great week.
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.